Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight is going to be an awesome night. We're going to be talking about atonement without blood. Can you imagine that? And we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be reading actually a few passages in that regard. There's actually a lot that, that you know, in the, uh, in the scriptures that talk about that particular concept, much to the dismay of the modern corrupt Christian uh, narrative propagators. So tonight we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 8, 2 Chronicles uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Psalm 136, and we're going to be finishing up the book of the Odes of Solomon. So we got a lot to talk about, and I'm sure we got a lot of interesting, um, we're going to get a lot of interesting questions, at least, uh, or comments, I would expect so. We're not going to talk specifically about the grain off or the flower offering in Leviticus chapter 5, but we will be talking about what happens when the people of God are not in the Holy Land. They are exiled. They are in the land of the enemy. There's no temple there at all for them to go and perform their duties at the temple. No. Um, and that's really what, what we're getting at here. That's one of the major points we're getting at as well as... Um, the very, very famous Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. We will be reading that as well tonight. If my people who are called by my name. And the, you know that in and of itself preaches, teaches uh, pr forgiveness without, without blood. Isn't that something? Let's do it. First Kings chapter 8. Let's start with that. Uh, on the left-hand side there on YouTube, I have 1 Kings chapter 8. On the right-hand side, I got 2 Chronicles chapter 5. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of, I don't know why they got two subtitles of the same, the actual same, you know, uh, the, the ark brought into the temple up here. And then again, the ark brought in the temple down here. It must be some kind of a typo, but yeah. So Let's do it. First Kings chapter 8. The ark brought into the temple. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to, to King Solomon in Jerusalem. Kind of a weird way to put it. Now Solomon assembled the elders to King Solomon in Jerusalem. Um that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which is from the city of David, which is Zion, or Zion in the Hebrew. Um, Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Athanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. Okay, let's just catch up here over here on um, in Second Chronicles chapter 5. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which Dave, his, his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem. Well, that makes a little bit, that kind of goes a little bit, that, that sounds better than uh, over here, uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, Solomon assembled uh, all these people to, to King Solomon. Uh, I think it sounds better to just to say, uh, you know, 
instead of saying Solomon assembled these people to King Solomon in Israel, I think it's better to say, no, Solomon assembled these people in Israel, or excuse me, in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. Okay, so here, Ethanim in the footnotes, or Tishri, September or October. Okay. Verse 4, 2 Chronicles 5. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Okay, so that, that corresponds to this one right here, pretty much the same. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Again, that is pretty much the same as what we read there in 1 Kings chapter 8. 2 Chronicles 5, 6. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who, who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. First Corinthians or First Kings chapter eight verse five. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Again, it's pretty much it's, it's the same, pretty much. First um, Kings eight six. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. Second Chronicles 5.7 Then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. Pretty much the same. Almost word for word. First um, Kings chapter 8, verse 7 For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place, of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. Pretty much the same over here in Second Chronicles chapter five, verse eight. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. First Kings chapter eight, verse eight. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary but they could not be seen from outside and they were and they are there to this day second chronicles 5:9 the poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary but they could not be seen from outside and they are there to this day again this is pretty much word for word 1 Kings 8, 9 says, Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the, uh, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. 
2 Chronicles 5.10, nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. 1 Kings 8.10, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So this cloud is actually the visible presence of the glory of God. And by the way, some people, even to this day, sometimes experience this. They they have seen this kind of thing. In fact, the one meeting I've, I've spoke, I spoke about it several times. The one meeting that I attended, and actually I've seen it many times. But the one the one meeting that I've uh, when I first attended, uh, right, just like a couple months after I started walking with with God in 1992, um, that was. It happened there at that meeting as well. And other people actually I, I spoke to later uh, that were there. I didn't even know they were there. I met these people later at different churches and different places. And I'm like, oh, you were at that meeting too? Yeah, I was there. And they said, yeah, I saw the cloud. And they were like, uh, lots of people saw that cloud. It's not something that's just limited to the Bible. It's something that can happen. It can happen today. And I believe has happened many times. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. And it came to pass... When the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping their divisions. Okay, so this is different. Um, let me see. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And the Levites who were the singers and all those of Asaph or Asaph and Haman and Yeduthun, with their sons and their uh, brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets. It's kind of interesting that we have 120, uh, similar to the number that was in the upper room in the book of Acts. Verse 13, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. In the, in the um, footnotes, E, okay, so literally they could not stand to minister. Now this is very, very, um, uh, as I said before, I, if you've ever experienced this kind of thing before, you know exactly what they're talking about. You know, you cannot stand. Literally, you cannot stand. You're 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 not going to be able to stand, no matter what. Um, you're going down. Verse eleven, and or this is First Kings chapter eight, verse eleven. So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Okay, so in Second Chronicles, we have more detail, obviously. 
We have more detail um, than we do in 1 Kings chapter 8. So First uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 10, or excuse me, verse 12. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in, in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a house for you to dwell in forever. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. So that's word for word what we have in 1 Kings. Okay. So 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 14 this is Solomon's speech at the, at the completion of the work. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. First, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 3. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly, assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. Again, this word for word. First Kings chapter 8, verse 15. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, um, let's just go over here and compare that with 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 4. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke. Now we got with his hands here. It's not that's not in First uh, Kings. Fulfill with his hands what he spoke with with his mouth to my father David, saying, verse five: Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be ruler over my people Israel. Compare that with 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 16. Since the day that I brought my people out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from the tribe of Israel, from any tribe of Israel, in which to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Slightly different, but pretty much the same. Verse 17. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Compare that with um, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. So we got, okay, so that's different. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Oh, excuse me. No, it's not different. I'm reading a different uh, verse here. Verse 7. Now that was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. That's pretty much the same. 
1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. 2 Chronicles 6, 8. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Again, word for word. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 19. Nevertheless, you shall build, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. 2 Chronicles 6, 9. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. Again, word for word. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Second Chronicles 6.10 So the Lord fulfilled the word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Again, word for word. Verse 21 of 1 Kings chapter 8 and there I have made a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Second Chronicles 6, 11. And there I have put the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the children of Israel. Okay, so that's different. Okay, so not it's not contradictory. It's not it's not it's not a contradiction, but it is different. First Kings chapter eight verse twenty-two. This is Solomon's prayer of dedication. Now, notice before I read this, notice what Solomon says. Especially, this is what I'm getting at. Especially in regards to how the people is to obtain atonement when they are not in the Holy Land, when they are not there, with when they don't have a temple. He will get into that. But let's take this step by step. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Okay, so let me just compare that with 2 Chronicles 6, 12. It says... Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Okay. It doesn't really say toward heaven. But it adds this whole entire verse, verse 13, which 1 Kings chapter 8 does not have. It says, For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long. Let me just stop here for a second. Like, and this is the reason why they believe that Chronicles, first and second chronicles is a midrash or like a commentary on first and second Kings, first and second Samuel, because of the fact that they add these kind of extra details in it. It's like it's like it's like um it's like notes in the in the margin they add. It's like you know, uh, they give us more detail here in Second Chronicles. Uh, 
For Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long. Uh, again, five cubits is a cubit is a foot and a half, so that'd be like seven, uh, seven and a half feet long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and he, and had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. Okay, so he, this is where we get the spread out his hands toward heaven after all of this explanation and all the extra details that we don't have in 1 Kings. Back to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 23. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and, and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Okay, let's compare that with... First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 14, it says, And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Slightly different. I mean, it doesn't talk about what's on the earth below, but, um, well, excuse me, in heaven above, or on the earth. Okay, it doesn't say below, but yeah. It's pretty much the same. Verse 24 of 1 Kings chapter 8. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Second Chronicles 6, 15. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Pretty much the same. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 25. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before, the, before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. Second Chronicles 6, 16. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before my law. So that's added, although it is implied in 1 Kings. As you have walked before me. Okay. First Kings chapter 8, verse 26. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant my, uh, David, my father. Second Chronicles 6, 17. And now, Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. Shorter? And shorter, doesn't say David, my father. First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But you will indeed, excuse me, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? 
2 Chronicles 6, 18, but God indeed will dwell with men on the earth. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? That's different than, but but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Okay, so we got with men is added. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. So that part is the same. 1 Kings 8, 28. Yet in regard, or excuse me, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. 2 Chronicles 6, 19. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. doesn't say today, but we know that's what it means. 1 Kings 8, 29. That your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. 2 Chronicles 6.20 That your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would, you would put your name. A little bit different than 1 Kings. And uh, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. Now, this is why... Uh, typically in Jewish synagogues, uh, they face Jerusalem when they pray. Um, that's why they do that. First Kings 8.30 And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven toward, or excuse me, here in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Okay, so this is a good key right here. Second Chronicles 6, 21. And may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Okay, so that's one clue. That's one clue into uh, some... Powerful points that we're going to we're going to get into tonight. So Solomon didn't mention anything about sacrifices or blood or anything at this point. Yet he is bringing down this whole this whole thing about forgiveness. Basically, what he said to summarize, to paraphrase it, he said, "Lord, when your people praise toward this place, hear from heaven and forgive." Why would he pray that? Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he say? Or why didn't he say? Um, when your people bring their lamb sacrifices and the blood is shed, then their, their sin will be covered, then they'll be forgiven. Why didn't he say that? Because you see, in the Torah, there are different means of atonement. There are different ways of attaining atonement. And we went through this before when we were reading uh, through the Torah, especially in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 15, and in various other places. One of the means of atonement 
is simply prayer. Actually, um, incense, burning incense, which is a symbol of prayer, right? That uh, Aaron burned the incense as an, to make atonement. Again, there's no blood there. And we know that in the book of Revelation, it says that the incense um, is, is a symbol of prayer. So we're getting into it a little bit more. And as we read on, you'll see it's going, it's going to get more and more interesting here. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 31. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing on or bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. This reminds me of the conversation we had with I think it was Josh there several days ago, where he, he was saying in the in the Old Testament, the only way that anybody could get righteousness was not from their own righteousness. It was because of it was because of the sacrifices that they offered or the faith that they had. Right? They had faith. And because of their faith, they were they were deemed righteous. Um, it seems to say something different here. Second uh, Chronicles chapter six verse twenty two: If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act, and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So, again, justification coming upon the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear from here in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Okay, so let me just read this before I comment on it. Second Chronicles chapter 6, Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy, because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave them and their fathers. So here is a scenario where they don't, they're not in the land, right? They, they don't have access to the temple. They cannot offer their sacrifices as prescribed, because um, there's no, they can't do it in the proper place. They don't have the temple to do it. Therefore, according to this, all they have to do is turn back to God, confess His name, and pray, make supplication to God, and He will hear and and forgive their sins. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35. 
when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Second Chronicles 6.26 When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So here we have some more uh, of uh, the prescription, basically what Solomon is saying of, of how these people are to receive forgiveness of sins. And again, it, it involves turning to God, confessing his name, turning from their sin. There's, there's the repentance right there. Turning from their sin. And they, they will be forgiven. As it says, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And as we will read in Second Chronicles chapter 7, a little bit later. And uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. And so on and so forth. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 37. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart, and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive, and act, and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to their to our fathers. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 28 when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you know, you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you which you gave to our fathers. So, I mean, we have it again. We have it again. Um, this is what we see many times throughout the scriptures. Um, I'm going to read the rest of 
this here, and we'll talk a little bit about other parts of the scriptures where it also talks about this, but it gets into more detail a little bit later on in as we read. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this temple here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do or as do your people Israel that they may know that this temple which i have built in is called by your name second chronicles chapter 6 verse 32 and 33 moreover concerning a foreigner who is not of your people israel but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray in this temple then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. First Kings chapter 8, verse 44, When your people go out to battle against their enemy wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Second Chronicles 6, 34 and 35. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and, and when they pray to you toward this city, which you have chosen and the temple, which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, When they sin against you, for there is none who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Okay, so again, in, in context here, they're not they're not, they don't have access to the temple. They don't have access to go and bring their sacrifices, their offerings, anything like that. They're, they're in exile. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent, key word, repent, and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong and have committed wickedness, and when they return to you, right, do teshuva, with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who, who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you in all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you, and grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. 
that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them wherever or whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Second Chronicles chapter 6, comparing, uh, starting at verse 36, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and may make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed iniquity, or committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer, and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open, and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Um, Verse 41, Now therefore, arise, O Lord, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength, Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your priests rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. Okay, so, um, quick little comment here before I read on. So, it's pretty clear, and we see this throughout. Uh, we see this in, in various other places in in the scripture as well. Um, uh, Daniel, uh, you know, in Babylon, we got we have uh, forgiveness and atonement for sin without the sacrificial, you know, the the blood sacrifice. Jonah goes to Nineveh, an Assyrian city, and they all repented and received forgiveness. And so Jonah didn't say, God didn't say, you guys all need to make sacrifices for your sin right now. No, they just repented and God forgave them. According to Ezekiel chapter 18, according to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and again, various other places as well. Um, Let me just... uh, See what we got here. Second Chronicles chapter seven. I do want to get to your questions and your comments here, but I want to make sure I get all the the reading in first, at least the majority of it. So First Kings chapter 8, verse 54. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread 
up to heaven. Um, okay. Just trying to figure out how much I can read here. Verse 55, then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not, not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require, that all peoples of the earth may know that, know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Verse uh, 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep so the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the, the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. At that time, Solomon, Solomon uh, held a feast in all Israel with him. A great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent, he sent the people away. And they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Details we don't have in 1 Kings. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So again, we see this again. Uh, 
when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down in the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. Let's see what we got here. We just read it. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. That lines up. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The The priests attended to their services. The Levites also with instruments of the music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded the trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and grain offerings and and the fat. At that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. God's second appearance to Solomon. This is verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Of course, I got to stop here just for a moment. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if my people. Well, first of all, verse 13, all of these things, basically, all these things um, come upon the people because of their sin, because God is not pleased with them. He, you know, he shuts up the heaven so there's no rain. He would send the locusts or the devourer. Uh, he would send pestilence or disease or any, anything like that upon the people. So because of their sin, notice it doesn't say, It does not say, uh, or God does not say, if my people who are called by my name will will bring the appropriate sacrifice to the house of God uh, and, and, you know, 
offer the blood sacrifice, then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's not what he said. Verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For I, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will, will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish your throne or the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name I will cast out of my sight." And will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Very interesting, very interesting. Uh, just quickly here, I want to read Psalm 136 and then just polish up on the Odes of Solomon and then we'll just we'll dive right into your your comments. Okay, here we are. Psalm 136, verse 1. Uh, actually, part 1, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. Section 2. Who alone has done great wonders, for his mercy endures forever? Who skillfully made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever? Who spread the earth upon the waters, for his mercy endures forever? Who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever? The sun to rule, by, rule the day, for his mercy endures forever? The moon and stars to rule the night. His mercy endures forever. Part 3, section 3. Who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his mercy endures forever. And led Israel through their midst. For his mercy endures forever. With mighty hand and outstretched arm. For his mercy endures forever. Who split into the Red Sea. For his mercy endures forever and led Israel through its midst. His mercy endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, 
for his mercy endures forever. Who led the people through the desert, for his mercy endures forever. Section 4. Who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. Slew powerful kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. Og, king of Bashan, or Bashan, his mercy endures forever. And made their lands a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. A heritage for Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Section 5. The Lord remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endures forever. Freed us from our foes, for his mercy endures forever. And gives bread to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Section 6. Praise the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Okay, one more thing we'll read, and I'll get into the comment section, and we will discuss Ode 37 from the Odes of Solomon. We'll, fi we'll finish up this book tonight, Lord willing. I stretched out my hands towards the Lord, and towards the Most High I raised my voice. I spoke with the lips of my heart, and he, and he heard me when... My, when my voice reached him, his word came towards me in order to give me the fruits of my labors, and he gave me rest, or he, and, gave me, and gave me rest by the grace of the Lord. Hallelujah. Ode 38. I went up into the light of truth as into a chariot, and the truth led me and caused me to come and caused me to pass over the chasms and gulfs and save me from cliffs and valleys and became for me a, ha a haven of salvation and set me on the place of immortal life. And he went with me and caused me to rest and did not allow me to err because he was and is the truth. And there is no danger for me because I constantly walked with him. And I did not err in anything because I obeyed him. For error fled from him and never met him. But truth was proceeding on the upright way. And whatever I did not understand, he exhibited to me. All the poisons of error, the pains of death, which are considered sweetness, and the corrupting of the corrupter I saw when the bride who was corrupting was adorned. And the bridegroom who corrupts and is corrupted. And I asked the truth, who are these? And he said to me, this is the deceiver and the error. And they imitate the beloved and his bride. And they cause the world to err and corrupt it. And they invite many to the wedding feast and allow them to drink the wine of their intoxication. So they cause them to vomit up their wisdom and their knowledge 
and prepare them for mindlessness. Then they abandon them, and so they stumble about like mad, like mad and corrupted men. Since there is no understanding in them, neither do they seek it. But I have been made wise so as not to fall into the hands of the deceivers, and I myself rejoice because the truth had gone with me. For I was established and lived and was redeemed, and my foundations were laid on account of the Lord's hand because he has planted me. For he set for he set the root and watered it and endowed it to be and blessed it, and its fruits will be forever. It penetrated deeply and sprang up and spread out, and it was full and was enlarged, and the Lord alone was glorified in his planting and in his cultivation, in his care and in his bless in the blessing of his lips, in the beautiful planting of his right hand and in the attainment of his planting, and in the understanding of his mind. Hallelujah. Ode 39. Raging rivers are the power of the Lord. They send headlong those that who despise him, and entangle their paths, and destroy their crossings, and snatch their bodies, and corrupt their natures, for they are more swift than lightnings, even more, even more rapid. But those who cross them in faith shall not be disturbed, and those who walk on them faultlessly shall not be shaken, because the sign on them is the Lord, and the sign is the way for those who cross in the name of the Lord. Therefore, put on the name of the Most High and know Him, and you shall cross without does rivers shall be obedient to you. The Lord has bridged them by his word, and he walked and crossed them on foot. And his footsteps stand firm upon the waters and were not destroyed, but they were like a beam of wood that is constructed on truth. On this side and on that, the waves were lifted up, but the footsteps of our Lord Messiah stand firm, and they are neither blotted out nor destroyed. And the way has been appointed for those who cross over after him, and for those who adhere to the path of his faith, and who adorn his name. Hallelujah. Veto. Veto sings over there on TikTok. Are you still there? I'm going to read a few more odes here. Oh, you are. Veto. Come on over to YouTube and face me face to face instead of slandering me. Go on, go on over to YouTube. Instead of slandering and, and ad hominem attacks just because I shoot at your idol, just because I knock down your idol, go on over to YouTube. I invite you. Your ignorance will be exposed. 
Ode 40. From the Odes of Solomon. Verse 1. As honey drips from the honeycomb of bees, and milk flows from the woman who loves her children, so also is my hope upon you, O my God. As a fountain gushes forth its water, so my heart gushes forth the praise of the Lord, and my lips bring excuse me, and my lips bring forth praise to him. And my tongue becomes sweet by his anthems. And my members are anointed by his odes. My face rejoices in his exaltation. And my spirit exalts in his love. And my nature shines in him. And he who is afraid shall trust in him. And redemption shall be assured in him. And his possessions are immortal life. And those who receive it are incorruptible. Hallelujah. Ode 41. Let all the Lord's babes praise him and let us receive the truth of his faith. And his children shall be acknowledged by him. Therefore, let us sing by his love. We live in the Lord by his grace and we live, the, excuse me, and life we receive by his Messiah. For a great day has shined upon us, and wonderful is he who has given to us of his glory. Let us, therefore, all of us agree in the name of the Lord, and let us honor him in his goodness. And let our faces shine in his light, and let our hearts meditate in his love by day and by night. Let us exalt with the exaltation of the Lord. All those who see me will be amazed because I am from another race. For the Father of truth remembered me, he who possessed me from the beginning. For his riches begat me and the thought of his heart. And his word is with us in all our way. The Savior who gives life and does not reject ourselves. The man who humbled himself, but was exalted because of his own righteousness. The Son of the Most High appeared in the perfection of his Father. And light dawned from the word that was before him, in, before time in him. The Messiah in truth is one. And he was known before the foundations of the world, that he might give life to persons forever by the truth of his name. A new chant is for the Lord from, from, them, from them that love him. Hallelujah. And finally, Ode 42. I extended my hands and approached my Lord, for the expansion of my hands is his sign. In my extension is the upright cross that was lifted up on the way of the righteous one. And I became useless to those who knew me not, because I shall hide myself from those who possess me not. And I will be with those who love me. All my persecutors have died, and they sought me. And they who declared against me 
because I am living. Then I arose and am with them, and will speak by their mouths. For they have rejected those who persecute them, and I threw over them the yoke of my love. Like the arm of the bridegroom over the bride, so is my yoke over those who know me. As the bridal chamber is spread by the bride by the bridal's pairs, excuse me, by the bridal pairs home, so is my love by those who believe in me. I was not rejected, although I was considered to be so, and I did not perish, although they thought they thought it of me. Sheol saw me and was shattered, and death ejected me, and many with me. I have been vinegar and bitterness to it, and I went down with it as far as its depth. Then my feet and the head, excuse me, then the feet and the head it released because it was not able to endure my face. And I made a congregation of living among his dead. And I spoke with them by living lips in order that my word may not be unprofitable. And those who died ran towards me. And they cried out and said, Son of God, have pity on us. And deal with us according to your kindness and bring us out of the bonds of darkness. And open for us the door by which we may come out to you. For we perceive that our death does not touch you. May we also be saved with you, because you are our Savior. Then I heard their voice and placed their faith in my heart. And I placed my name on their head, because they are free and they are mine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sergeant, Sergeant, you said, welcome, by the way, brother. Good to see you. Uh, it says, Rojas gives you a lot of credit by calling you an antichrist. I know, I know. Isn't that something? I mean, these people are so lunatic. Just, they just got, they get caught up in so much lunacy because I say something that's against their, their, dearly, their dearly held doctrine. They cannot hold a civil and reasonable conversation or argument because they have no argument, they have no truth. So they just spout off like, you know, calling names and, and ridiculous because they got they don't have any arguments. Logic, reason, and truth is not on their side. It seems like my little Vado must have ran away. Vado, where are you? You can speak big words over there on TikTok, but you can't face me. Welcome, Onia. Good to see you, brother. Says Kings probably is based on Chronicles, not the other way around. Okay. Interesting viewpoint. Interesting. I have always heard and understood that it is Chronicles that's like a midrash of. Um, so it's just interesting. Like the um, Chronicles is in is in the 
category of Ketavim, whereas Kings, I believe, is in the Nevi'im. And so that would, to my understanding, that would mean that Kings has more authority, like First and Second Chronicles, or First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings has more authority than Chronicles. But interesting take on that, anyway. Oh yeah, we have over there on Podbeans. Um, Emmanuel says, "Good evening. Please help me know the kind of grace I carry in the Lord." No, please. Shalom. Hi. Shalom. Good to see you. Please help me know the kind of grace I carry in the Lord. Um, I'm not... If you can give me more detail, if you can rephrase that question or give me some more detail, I'm not 100% sure what you're asking. If... Do you have access to YouTube? Can you go on YouTube right now or, or not? Again, Veto. Yeah, Veto is gone. That's what happens all the time, right? You get these, these trolls. They just come on, yap, 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 and run away. Onia says, should be made clear atonement's not synonymous with forgiveness. But yeah, the Torah does not say animal sacrifice is required for salvation. Onia, you have. Are you interested in jumping on for a minute, Onia? If not, then it's fine, no problem. I mean, no. Uh, okay, so Onia says I can for maybe ten minutes. Okay, uh, just give me a second here. All right, so we have Onia here. Brother, how's it going? Well, it's going good. Sorry, I'm on my phone this time. That's okay. Um, I did want to mention one thing just out of it. It's, it's not a big deal, but, um, uh, I, I observed like when you were going verse by verse, uh, like, uh, showing the differences between Kings and Chronicles, there was one verse in, um, if you wanted to go back to it for a second, uh, there was one verse in the Chronicles and Kings comparison where it said something about the hands and in the one version, you had said that uh, you had said that it had it mentioned the hands, whereas the other version it didn't. Um, but actually, both versions said the same thing, except the only difference was that uh, it, the one was in a different order. Okay. Yeah, you don't have to look if you don't want to. But yeah, yeah okay. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I remember, uh, remember that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so yeah, I was just saying in the comments, uh, my view on like the idea of atonement and forgiveness, not necessarily being the same thing. So, um, you know, of course, Paul says a lot about, Paul says a lot about, uh, his views on the atonement of the Messiah, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, that come to your meetings question Paul's uh, accuracy on, on many things. So taking Paul on his word isn't necessarily uh, a, a strong basis, but, but there's other, a lot of the new Testament says similar stuff to what Paul says in regards to the Messiah's atonement uh, being required for forgiveness of sins. Um, 
the Gospel of John seems to emphasize it more than the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. Like, you know, uh, the Gospel of John says a lot of things about the Messiah that puts him on a very high pedestal. Um, and I, I'm i just going off the top of my head, so I'd have to double-check for specific verses. But um, I think, you know, First John talks about... Uh, our faith in regards to the Messiah uh, being our savior and, and revelation, I think talks about the blood of the lamb and things like that. <clears throat> so I think if you take the position that um, all you have to do to be, to receive atonement is uh, obedience, then it seems to be a contradiction with some of what the new Testament says. Um, and the way I reconcile it is I think that the Old Testament was basically saying all that you need to do to be saved. <clears throat> it was basically promising you, you will be saved if you repent of your sins. I, I don't believe it was required to accept the atonement, like, you know, accept Jesus into your heart, all that silly stuff. You don't have to go to that extent to be saved, but you have to be righteous. But the problem, <clears throat> the, whole, the whole idea anyway with the atonement of the Messiah being needed is um, most people, the vast majority of humans have sinned at some point in their lives. So uh, there, there's, of course, Scripture talks about unintentional sins, but it's the willful sins which are the ones we need atonement for. And those are sins you know or should know are wrong, and yet you choose to do it anyway, knowing how bad it is. Um, and so uh, the problem is if you repent of your sins, it doesn't wipe away the former things you've done. So, for example, the New Testament talks about... Uh, Murderers shall not enter the New Jerusalem. They they will be rejected. And Paul says in his letters, he says, "Do you not know that murderers and homosexuals and all you know gives a list of sins? Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God." So the problem is, if you let's say you murder someone, and then you never murder someone again for the rest of your life you're still a murderer because by definition, a murderer is someone who has committed murder. Uh, so in all those different types of sins, if you have done a particular sin, that makes you that particular sinner. Um, so simply not doing it anymore and feeling sorry about it doesn't undo the harm that you did and doesn't remove the stain of the sin on your soul. So, but, but, but God promises to forgive you if you repent. But I think he doesn't say how the forgiveness will happen. So I believe that you can reconcile the two by simply choosing to believe that God promises forgiveness in the Old Testament for those who repent. But he didn't say how he was going to bring it about and the how that he was going to bring it about by 
is revealed in the New Testament. And and uh, like I was saying in the comments, I don't think you need to know and accept the way he's going to save you. You sim- All that you are required to do is stop sinning, repent of your sins, and then he'll take care of the rest. And then um, scripture seems to say that no one is actually saved in the sense that many, you know, that Christians seem to think no one's actually saved until the very end, the judgment day, when, because, like, if you're already saved, then what's the point of having a judgment? If everyone's already judged, there's no point for a judgment day. So the idea is, you know, the books will be open, book of life, we'll see if your name's on there, and everyone's going to be judged. And it's at that point that, that all the righteous who, if they repented from their sins, even before the Messiah, they'll be saved, but only because of the atonement that was procured through the Messiah. That, that's my position anyway. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, oh, I asked him the question. Uh, I asked you as a comment. I said, um, "What? what's your perspective on the New Testament, which seems to say that uh, Yeshua is the basis of our atonement or basis of our salvation? So you have... A response to that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I believe that, um, you know, what the what it says right from the Torah, if you're, uh, if you, um, basically, if you, it's not by works per se, it's by, it's by not transgressing the Torah, if you know what I mean. It's not by doing what you should be doing. I mean, it's not by works, but it's not by. Huh. Well, James says it is by works, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I... <laughs> so, yeah, in that, in that, if you know what I mean, it's not by the positive commands when you cannot obey the positive commands. For example, a toddler, right? A little, a, a little child, right? So, what positive commands do they? Can, you know, I suppose maybe when they get old enough to understand what it's what it's like, what, what it means to honor your father and your mother, maybe that can apply to them. But I mean, like toddlers or, you know, people like and people that are let's say they're mentally um, see people that are in old age homes and they just cannot. Um, they can't understand. They don't understand. Um, I think all that stuff is, is taken in, into consideration. So I. So on one hand, I can say it's not by works, right? So it's not like, I believe the angel, or I believe that babies, both in the womb and outside of the womb, and to the point, you know, little ones, they are heaven material. Like, that's what I believe. I believe that they are heaven material, so to speak, so to say, um, because they have not transgressed the law as it applies to them whatever applies to them, which wouldn't be hardly anything, if anything applies to them. So could I rephrase the question for you? That might make it better. Uh, All right. So the better way to phrase the question is, what do you believe Yeshua accomplished, if anything? Obviously he, he, he modeled a righteous life for us to emulate, but do you, what do you believe he accomplished a certain mission? What was that mission? Uh, did he do some type of atonement? Like, so what, what did he do? What did he accomplish in your view? In my view, I believe what, what it says, 
what he said uh, in the Gospels, that which can be ascertained. Like he said, I, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the wicked to call them to repentance. Um, so I believe that his mission was to teach people how to obey Torah as they should and to clear that up. Now, in regards to his death and atonement and all that kind of thing, I don't think, I don't believe any, I don't believe it sticks unless you have, unless you have repentance in there. I, I don't believe that his death or resurrection really means anything without repentance. Just like how the, uh, the, the sacrifices in the Tanakh didn't mean anything without their repentance. So, that's that's how I that's how I look at it. It's like um, where many times throughout throughout the throughout the Tanakh, when God said, you know, basically I, this is a stench in my in. I mean, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want that. I want obedience. I want, um, you know, I I reject your sacrifice. You might as well just go break a dog's neck or or offer swine's blood. You might you know. Uh, He's like, you think that that's what I, that's what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for repentance. I'm looking for obedience. So I think that I think I believe that God will will look at other on Judgment Day. I think that there will be a lot of people, a lot of Christians who put their faith, so to speak, in the narrative of the atonement. I just believe that Jesus died for me and died for my paid my debt and he rose again and all that kind of thing. But yet there's no change in their life. They are still like people that are enemies of God in their actions. I don't think that I think they're I think that those people will be lumped in the same category as the um as the lawless of Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23. You know, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Even though they have faith in the Messiah, even though they they can do many works in his name, even though they have all this, even though they come to him, even though they profess him as Lord, all that kind of stuff. That's what I believe. So I, I think that there'd be a lot of people, I believe there'd be a lot of people um, that will be shocked because they think they're saved, but they're not. Because... Oh, yeah. Because they don't have that, and, and let me just be clear as well. When I say repentance, I'm not talking about remorse. I'm not talking about even feeling sorry. Because I believe you can actually repent without even feeling sorry. I believe you can repent without feeling any remorse at all. Although, you sh I mean, it's, it's, you should feel, feel remorse or regret for doing things that are wrong. Yeah. But I, when I say repentance, I'm, I just mean simply Turn from sin, turn to God. Like stop doing what you shouldn't be doing and get back on the track. That's all I mean. To me, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't have to involve any kind of feelings. So to me, it, that's, that's what really makes it like really fulfilling and really satisfies all, the entirety of scripture. Not that Jesus died and somehow magically paid atonement and and paid the debt and now someone's magically clothed with this magical cloak called the righteousness of christ like i've heard many times i'm sure i'm sure you have too uh, onia i think that that's the main thing is is repentance and not everybody not everybody need like 
when a when a a child dies, two years old, you know, God forbid, and I feel sorry, like sorry, you know, that there are people that there are children that die young like that. I don't believe. And there are people that do believe this. I don't believe that, that anyone should say, well, that person, that child never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Therefore, they're going to hell. No, I think that I would they, say. If only they had been baptized and their original sin washed away. That's right. That, that's, you see, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think that that, that is a heresy. I think, I think that that is really bad, bad doctrine, really bad. I would look at that now and say, hey, I have no reason to believe that this child is not in a good place right now with God. I have no reason to believe that unless maybe, unless unless there's um, a prophet that comes around saying, well, that's Esau. Well, okay, if that's Esau, that's a different story. <laughs> but other than that, I mean. Well, for, for, for that specific issue, I I, think, I believe personally that, you know, there, how Re Revelation talks about the thousand year kingdom, I, I think it wouldn't be fair to those who are righteous for them to automatically enter the kingdom. On the other hand, it would not be fair for them to automatically be condemned when they didn't do anything wrong. So I think there must be some way that they will be they will receive trial in some way. Either either they become some type of an angel, and you know angels can fall into sin too, so they will still be tempted potentially, and they could still fall into sin, or they could be righteous. The alternative is that they could. Uh, be resurrected for the 1,000-year kingdom where they can actually live a life and then prove themselves worthy. Because I believe that no one who... I don't believe that anyone who has not proved themselves worthy of eternal life will receive eternal life. I, and if if it was the case that babies get a guaranteed passage if they if they die, then, you know, there's, there's actually... There are mothers who have murdered their babies be out of the notion that they're guaranteed to salvation so on the one hand the chances of them being unsaved if they live into adulthood are extremely high but if they're guaranteed uh salvation uh if they die as a baby then it actually makes a lot of sense from that perspective for a mother to murder her kids to ensure because what does a mother want most? They, she wants her kids to, to thrive and to be blessed and to have everything. So in the twisted thinking, it makes a lot of sense for a mother to kill her kids, to save her kids from eternal torment, which is almost guaranteed for most of the world um, who is outside of the truth of Scripture. Um, and But I think... If you're a mother and considering doing that, it should kind of be common sense to think, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is kind of a dumb thing to do. Why would this system even exist in the first place? Like the the disconnect should be in your mind to think, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to murder my kid. I must be wrong about something. And probably the thing we're wrong about is that they're guaranteed a path to salvation, but but definitely they are not guaranteed. They're, they're not going to, go to hell or be punished when they haven't done anything wrong. Um, but uh, let me, in that oh, yeah. situation, I, I would say, you know, like, like that, that mother definitely, first of all, that mother would be completely going against God's will and God's laws and everything doing that. 
and perhaps even robbing the world from, of a wonderful man or woman of God. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, that's just absolute lunacy and, and um, evil. I mean, that child, if that mother, you know, raises the child up properly, uh, I mean, there's a good chance that that child could be another, uh, you know, man or woman of God that could really do some really good things to a lot of people, uh, for a lot of people and for the world. Alternatively, interestingly enough, in the ascension of Isaiah, martyrdom and the martyrdom and ascension of Isaiah, um, Hezekiah is told in advance by Isaiah that his son Manasseh is going to be a very evil man and basically become a murderer and all kinds of horrible sins. So Hezekiah determines in his mind that he's he wants to kill his own son to prevent him from becoming an evil person. Uh, but Isaiah says, no, don't do that. that. That's wicked to do that. So even if the baby will become a horrible, evil person, you know, the whole thought experiment of people say, go back in time and kill baby Hitler. Well, that's not okay either. Uh, according to scripture. Yeah. Just trust God. I mean, trust God. It's you, you, you do everything you can do to obey his. The, the ends don't justify the means. That's. Yeah. We do everything you can do to obey his commandments and, and just trust God. So, um, let me say another thing about what we were talking about before, though. Um, so the issue I want to circle back to is that if it was always the case that you simply need to uh, repent of your sins, forsake your sins, and you'll be saved, everything's fine, then um, the Messiah's death did not accomplish anything of that nature. So um, I would say there's a few different possibilities of why the Messiah died. One of them could just simply be because he was murdered and that's all it was. You know, he was murdered and it, there's no significance for it. Um, the, another possibility is that his death is like the death of a righteous man, a, de a death of a prophet. You know, there are various apocryphal books that speak of the prophet, some of the prophets dying a martyr's death like isaiah ezekiel uh jeremiah they all died by being witnesses to the truth um according to these apocryphal books and the new testament alludes to those prophets dying as well in the book of hebrews but uh so the messiah's death in that sense could have been like a, a role model type of thing like to us uh, i died in this way so that you should know you should emulate me and be righteous in this way you know basically being faithful to the Torah to the point of death and he was a model to us that's one way we could look at it um, the other way is the traditional Christian view that he had to he had to die on the cross and if he did not die on the cross then then we wouldn't be saved therefore when Pilate was trying to decide what to do if Pilate had done the right thing then we wouldn't be saved if Judas had not betrayed Jesus, we would not be saved. That's according to the traditional view. Um, when I was thinking of this, it didn't make sense to me that if they did the right thing, we wouldn't be saved. He had to die on the cross. He had to be murdered for us to be saved. So there had to be something wrong with that doctrine. But on the other hand, the New Testament did seem to teach in certain places 
that he had to die for our sins. So I came up with an alternate theory or belief of what what he accomplished with atonement. I do believe he atoned for our sins, but I believe he atoned for our sins with his life. So the idea being he became a man, but it was not it was not him it was not the death that atoned for us. It was his life that atoned for us. But um a life is not complete without a death. So basically he had to live a life perfectly from birth until death. It didn't matter how he died. He simply had to die righteously without sinning his entire life. If he, if he lived his life perfectly and reached it till, until the end and, and died in righteousness, then his life would serve as a sufficient atonement for us all. That's what I believe. And it just so happened by coincidence that he died from uh, crucifixion. And it wasn't because he had to be murdered and slaughtered for us to be saved. But I do believe he had to live a life and end his life in righteousness for us to be forgiven for our sins. And like I said earlier, the way I reconcile what the Old Testament says with, with that is I believe it's a looking forward. What the Old Testament says is looking forward to the Messiah's atonement on Judgment Day. So what, what, what's your take um, on the Messiah's death? Do you think it was more of just like an emulation to like inspire us to be righteous? Um, uh, yeah, there, I mean, you cover a lot of stuff there. Um, Nathan, when he came, let's just go back to the, the life of Jesus. Nathan, when he came to David and he prophesied about the son of David, which all Christians I know of say that's Jesus. That's a prophecy of Jesus, right? He said in that prophecy that this son of David, this Messiah, would be disciplined because of his, he wouldn't be perfect, basically. He, he, would, he would go through the discipline because of, um, I forget exactly how it's worded, but basically because of his sins. And there's other things as well that we read that that kind of um, idea in the Psalms. The very Psalms that that the Gospels and a lot of Christians use to say, okay, so oh, look, at they pierced my hands and my feet. You read around it and you see that it, this is someone who's not perfect. And you know what I'm saying, right? So, I mean, yeah. that, that's a that's a huge topic. I mean, you brought it up. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as well. That's a huge topic all by itself. I know we can talk for hours on that, but. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, uh, let me just say about that, though. I, you, you know, you're going in that direction. I would go in the alternate direction to suggest that the New Testament writers, I don't think they're necessarily doing anything horrible, but I think they are misapplying the passages. Um or at the very least, they're taking quoting out of context. You could argue that their quoting out of context is legitimate for whatever reason they're doing it. But I think if you look at the passages like the Nathan one, um, it seems to be pretty clearly talking about Solomon. And, of course, the Psalms are talking about David, his own experiences. Most of the time, it's David's actual life. So I think, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah is not prophesying a virgin birth. He's prophesying of his wife giving birth to his son, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Um, if you look at the very next chapter, chapter 8, 
the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 is his son being born, his son Mahershalal Hashbaz. Um, so the idea that he was prophesying of the virgin birth and uh, Yeshua coming uh, and in David's Psalms was talking about the Messiah and Nathan was talking about Solomon. I think these are distortions of those passages, but I think it may have been valid in the way for the reasons they were doing it. The reasons being they were seeing parallels like, like, um, like typologies is what you call it. So like seeing patterns and then applying them. Oh, this happened in the old Testament. This is similar to the life of the Messiah. So they're quoting it as almost like a parallel story that has some similarity to the Messiah. And they're quoting it as like to show that there's some divine creativity or inspiration behind it. But I don't think they intend when they were making those parallels, I don't think they were intending it to be. Yes. Yeah, so th this passage was intended to be a prophecy of the Messiah. I think originally it was more of like, look at these amazing coincidences in scripture. These stories from the old Testament parallel in many ways, the Messiah's life. Uh, so let's learn from these old Testament stories. Uh, let's see how they, how similar they are to the Messiah. And it's just a testament to God's creativity of orchestrating history to make it similar to the Messiah's life. I, th I think that's probably what the new Testament writers thought, but I don't think they, they looked at that passage of like Solomon, the, the Nathan one, and was like, this was a prophecy of the Messiah. I think they were taking it more to be um, this, what is said here uh, in many ways parallels what the Messiah has also accomplished. That, that's what I would say. I, I, I have to get going though, because I'm yeah, supposed yeah, to, I, I'm I supposed to say, try to talk to someone. I was going to say, I, I have to get going anyway too myself. Uh, somebody was just asking here on TikTok, are we supposed to hear the other speaker? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, I'm I'm talking to someone on uh, YouTube right now. We got a live uh, guest. Who's the other um, speaker? Oh, oh yeah, TikTok. That's right, TikTok. TikTok's wondering who I'm talking to. Yeah, just tell them to to watch your YouTube recording if they are yeah. curious. Yeah, go to uh, my YouTube channel. Um, Christopher Enoch. Uh, so, all right. So I'll I'll get off here. But yeah, if keep you going. if you're if you're uh, tomorrow, we do we we will have uh, Will on. Um, if tomorrow or even Saturday Saturday in the daytime in the afternoon, if you're interested. Um, lots of good, lots of interesting things to talk about. I'll let yeah. you know. I'll, I'll I'll see if I'm able to or not. Okay. All right. Peace, Thanks, brother. Yeah, peace, brother. Talk to you uh, soon. Thank you. How do I get off of here? I'll shut you off here. <laughs> All right. All right, there he is. He's gone now. Anyway, thanks, Sonia, for uh, for your uh, for your view on that. Um, I yeah, I want to do this very very fast. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we do have Will Davis from Sheepdog Ministries with us. Uh, that is confirmed. Lord willing, that is. So uh, I 
we're going to be talking about lots of interesting things tomorrow, uh, Saturday afternoon, as usual, 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll be, uh, we'll be fellowshipping and um, talking about lots of interesting things as well. The floor will be more open on Saturday. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Rojas, Rojas, are you still there? Or are you gone? So, yeah, we still have um, over there on Podbean as well. For anybody within the sound of my voice, if you're not on YouTube or even, um, I, so I'm streaming live on YouTube and like Facebook and Twitch and Twitter and uh, VK and D Live and a few others as well. If you're not um, if you don't have me on one of those platforms, I would encourage you to go over and, uh, and find me on one of those platforms because the live streaming software that I have to share my screen and do all these different graphical things and have guests come on, I can only do it on those other platforms. I can't do it on, um, TikTok, uh, Podbean. I'm sorry, you guys over there in Podbean, you're not, you're, you can't, uh, you can't hear the guests or you can't hear or even read what I'm reading. But if you go over to YouTube and look me up over there, Christopher Enoch on YouTube, then um, then you'll uh, you'll be able to do that. You'll be able to uh, to avail yourself of those features. Okay. Interesting, interesting. So I'm going to wrap it up tomorrow evening. Well, depending on where you are in the world, for me, it's evening, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you're in some other remote part of the world and um, uh, and you want to know how to convert that to your time, just look up like New York time, New York time. So tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be back same time, same place with Will Davis. All right. So as always, guys, um, thanks for thanks for joining me. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all your your questions and your comments in the live chat. Uh, in fact, um, I can't now, even if I tried to, I can't everything ever since the Internet dropped out. My everything's just wiped clean on my screen. So I don't know. I, I can't even get to the old uh, the old uh, questions or comments in the live chat at all. So my apologies. Please come back tomorrow night or Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern if you can, if I haven't answered your question already, and uh, and submit your question again. Um, again, my apologies, and I will do my best to, uh, to answer that. And if we have a guest, if I don't answer it, then maybe my guest would have uh, something, to, uh, something to contribute as well. Okay, guys. Thanks again. Blessings multiplied to you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your... Um, thanks for your fellowship. Thanks for your questions, your comments. And I'll see you again tomorrow night. Amen. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.